when God is birthing something new, as we're going to see in this beautiful Christmas uh, story, the story that we, we, we share again from the Gospel of Luke, you'll see divine appointments coming into Zacharias as he meets an angel. You're going to see a divine appointment as Elizabeth and Mary meet, as John the Baptist first encounters Mary's voice, as Simeon walks into the temple, as Anna, a prophetess, walks into the temple after Simeon. All of it, God orchestrating providentially, setting up the appointment where he's going to manifest himself. So I'm going to tell you, God is moving in a new way in your life this year to make you aware of how divine appointments are setting you up for the purposes that he has for you. And this year, I want you to go to uh, lancewallet.com forward slash divine, D-I-V-N-E, to get divine appointments. You can call 1-800-910-6349. And I want to make sure that you have this uh, special teaching on divine appointments to prepare you for your divine appointments this year. God bless you. Welcome to the Lance Wall Now Show, and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I walked into the set today, and we have uh, we are festooned with all kinds of uh, Christmas themeology here, and I kind of like it. I know I've, I've always had a kind of a uh, my favorite time of year is Christmas, and I think that uh, Mercedes, I guess for you, it's the same way. I assume it's the way you're dressed. Yeah, I like Christmas. I can't believe we <laughs> wore the same outfit, Lance. Well, was, well, because red is in season this at this time, and I can't, I can't, I can hardly wear this uh, any other time. I want you to get your Bible. We're going to be doing some exciting stuff today. I want you to take a look at how much angels and the prophetic are all over new things. Because you know we're going from Christmas into the new year, and I do think that there's there's something to be said for starting the year off right by starting the year off in the same way that the, uh, the Christmas season brings in it, which is the birth of Jesus. And I want you to go there with me and discover together the power of angels and prophecy to birth new things in your life. And we'll start right away with Luke. Go to Luke chapter 1. Get a Bible. I'm serious about this. Get a Bible because I wrote in the margin, angels and prophecy. Every time they showed up, and I got, I, I got myself happy last night reading this stuff. So anyway, in the days of Herod, verse 5, the king of Judah, uh, Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah and his wife, the daughters of Aaron, uh, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous, it says, and blameless before God. They had no child, though they were well advanced in years. So here what you have is you have somebody who has a desire for something that they've given up on because it's never going to happen. It's too late. And God says it's never too late for him to visit you and give you the dreams of your youth. And it was while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, that uh, the lot fell to him to burn incense. Now here he is doing an ordinary routine, but guess what? God shows up in his routine. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah's psalm was troubled and fear filled his heart. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Now, notice something. His prayer has been heard. Gabriel, you're going to find out this is Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. He identifies himself in about another 20, 15 verses. Gabriel is in the presence of God. Something you need to know about the presence of God. God doesn't have your sense of time. It's as though this man, Zechariah, has prayed for a child, never got one, 
quit praying years ago. But guess what? The prayer was now being answered. He's getting an answer to the prayer of his youth that he forgot he even prayed it. So the angel says, hey, your prayer's been heard. He hasn't been praying lately at all. And your wife Elizabeth is going to bear a son, and you're going to have joy and gladness, and many are going to rejoice at his birth. He's not going to drink any strong wine or, or, or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. And he's prophesying that he's going to have the spirit and power of Elijah on him. He's giving him a lot of information to make ready a people. He's prophesying this whole thing, this kid's destiny in front of him. And Zechariah says the wrong thing to an angel. This ought to be entitled, What Not to Say When Your Angel Is Listening, because he irritates his own angel. He goes, well, how do I know it's going to happen? I'm an old man. My wife is old, too. Wrong thing to say to Gabriel, who just came from the presence of God, is trying to get John the Baptist born. He says, look, I'm Gabriel. Oh, here it is right there, verse 19. Stands in the presence of God. I was sent to speak, speak to you. Behold, you're going to be mute now and not able to speak until these things take place. But you didn't believe. You didn't believe what I God sends an angel, tells you the destiny of a child, and you, you don't believe it? Guess what? God stops his ability to talk. Do you think, Mercedes, God might have stopped his ability to talk because his speaking could in any way interfere with what God was doing? Uh, me? No. But maybe you do. Uh, I like I was thinking about earlier on where it talks about how they caught they cast lots and that's why Zachariah went into the temple and you think about like in the previous episode a couple weeks ago you talked about predestination and so you just have these like predefined moments these divine encounters and here he is just cast lots and he just happens to go in and he has this encounter there one could say that God divinely manipulated the casting of the lots good point I never thought of that before now, the people waited for Zacharias and marveled, and when he came out, he couldn't speak to them. And so, in the sixth month, we go to verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, um, actually, I should go back there to verse 24. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself for five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. I shouldn't leap over that because he couldn't speak at the, at the point where the miracle was happening. But he will speak later on. But notice that God takes away the reproach of his people. For her, being childless was a reproach. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Angels are sent. Isn't that interesting? And to a virgin betrothed of a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at this saying, considered, what in the world kind of a greeting is this? Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And that's an interesting verse right there. Favor with God. That the favor of God is something that um, is attracted to you. And then it, once it comes towards you, it releases something to you that envelops you with the force of favor thereafter. It's an interesting study because we, we have a product on favor we'll have to talk about sometime. Behold, 
You will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will be with him and give him the throne of his father David, who will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now I want you to notice something. Mary says, how can this be, since I do not know a man? Now how is that different? Then Zechariah saying, you know, how shall I know this? For I am an old man. See, she's saying, how is this possible? And he said, how is that possible? But somehow, what I want you to catch is, it wasn't the words. It was the heart that reveals the words. There's probably something more. People always worry about the confession of your mouth. I say... More important than the confession of your mouth is the spirit behind what comes out of your mouth. Because she says the same thing. How is that possible? And the angel said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, and I think here's the key that reveals her question wasn't one of unbelief, but a question of natural awareness of the need for a miracle. Because she says, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your words. See, Zechariah, if he had said, Let it be to me according to your words, he could have talked. But he was silent because he didn't say, let it be according to your words. He said, how in the world are those words ever going to happen to me? I think, though, can I just jump in really quick about two, a couple of different thoughts? One, Zachariah knew the means by which it was supposed to happen, if you know what I'm saying. And Mary is like, but I haven't known a man, so how is that going to work? And so his was a statement of not believing that God could do the thing. And then to answer your first question, I've had more time to think about it. I think it's a sign to him that his silence, he's going to be silent until this word is fulfilled. So now you almost have to believe it too, right? You're like, oh boy, I really hope that was an angel and I heard that true because now I'm silent until then. And then my last really intriguing thought was Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion, which I don't know if it's a cultural custom, but I mean, for us, for, for like nowadays, you're normally quiet about it for three months. You really don't say anything because that first trimester is, you know, kind of questionable which way things are going to go. And who knows, maybe she had lost pregnancies before this, but she was quiet to almost five months. Five months is like Jamie Lynn pregnant. Like, you know, you're pregnant. You know what I'm saying? So if she waited till that time to really tell everybody and then, hey, the Lord's done this for me. He's taken away my disgrace from a reproach among people. Anyways, I think it's fascinating. I just had to get that out. Well, thank you for that. Now, Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, verse 39, and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now Mary walks into the house. Now you're somewhat familiar with these stories. I pray the Spirit of God gives you fresh ears to hear what the Spirit wants you to hear. It happened that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a great mysterious thing. The baby, five months formed on the inside of uh, Elizabeth, is talking to Mary, who is, I don't know, what, one month pregnant or something? 
and somehow the baby in Elizabeth responds. This is, this is like, there's a realm here which the Bible is dignifying, that there's something about when you're called to a certain thing, when your destiny is involving something, you're wired to respond to the thing you are destined to do. John's whole existence is about announcing Jesus. While he's yet before his brain is formed, before he has cognitive ability, he is, he is intuitively responding to the sound of the woman carrying his purpose. When you're in the presence of your calling, your purpose, and your destiny, your spirit will leap on the inside of you. This is the takeaway for you. Lord, what am I called to do? What am I called to do? If you'll be, if you'll put yourself in the position where you're walking with the Lord on a routine basis like Zacchaeus was, you will find in your heart some things quicken when you're around them. And when that happens, mark well where that happens because that's an indication that this is aligned with your destiny or your purpose. So she says to her, as soon as your voice was heard, the baby leaped. And then Mary releases a prophetic song. Now you need to know this is a prophetic song. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has regarded the lowly state of the maid, his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth, all generations are going to call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, the rich he sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And then Mary remained with her for about three months and returned to her own house. Notice the nature of this song that Mary prophetically sings. It has to do with a rulership prophecy. It's this idea that God has reversed things in the earth. The strong he's sent away, the poor he's lifted up, the, uh, the hungry are now filled, but the rich are not responding. In other words, <laughs> this Jesus, has a prophetic destiny that is going to upend the authority structure of the earth so that the lowly who respond to him are exalted and the high and the mighty that reject him are humble. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth the son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown a great mercy, they rejoiced. Now it was on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. Remember, she's of the order of Aaron. He is a Levitical priest. They come from the order of Aaron. Their whole lineage is in the Levitical community. It's supposed to be that when you have a firstborn son, he takes the name of his father. So they're expecting that uh, Zacharias is going to have a son, Zacharias. And they say to him, um, is his name, is he going to be called by the name of his father, which is customary? No, he shall be called John. 
Elizabeth says, because she's the only one who can speak. But they said to her, there's no one among your relatives who's called by that name. I love this. So she made a sign to his father what he would have him called. So she defers to him. Well, what do you say? You, you speak. You know what the angel told you. He asked for a writing tablet, which evidently meant during his whole period of nine months, he had to write everything he wanted to talk about. He asked for that tablet. His name is John. Boom. And they marveled because immediately his mouth was open, his tongue was loose, and he could talk. You could say that the moment that you call the thing by the name that God gives you, you can talk about it. Sometimes you want to name something or conceive something or do something that is your preconceived idea. But when you can name the thing that God is doing and name it the way God describes it, you could talk about it. And this is, a, this is, this is a lot in there because fear came on those who were around them. And the saying was discussed throughout all Judea and the country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept these sayings in their heart. What kind of a child is this going to be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now Zechariah prophesies. Now the father, Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, hasn't been able to talk. He prophesied. Remember what I said about angels and prophecy? Mary has a prophecy. John the Baptist, Zechariah has a prophecy. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. Now here's a father prophesying over his son. What a beautiful idea. The father now is speaking in agreement with what the angels said was the destiny of this child. You're going to give knowledge of salvation. You're going to prepare the way before the face of the Messiah. You're going to give knowledge by remission of sins <clears throat> through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. What is his prophecy about? Being saved from the hands of the enemy and all that hate us. A beautiful promise that God had made to Abraham that uh, they would be delivered from the hand of their enemies and serve God without fear. And their enemy, we're going to find out, is bigger than Rome. It's going to be Satan himself who is uh, going to seek to kill Jesus, even while he's yet an infant. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts, in the wilderness, until the day of his showing unto Israel or unto the day of his manifestation. I like going through verse by verse in the Bible because what you see here is angels setting things up. An angel goes to Mary, an angel goes to uh, Zacharias. Elizabeth receives a miracle. Mary prophesies. Now Zechariah's tongue is loose. He's prophesying. See the prophetic, angelic activity of God in the new things that God does. I love the supernatural. 
And then it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Remember how Mercedes, you talked about the lot was cast and the lot just providentially landed in a way that set up Zechariah at the uh, altar of incense at the right time for the angel to show up. Well, here God does it again. Providence rules because had it not been for Caesar Augustus requiring a, a census for only one purpose, the Roman governor has written history. He wanted a census to determine how many men were, could be inducted into his military and what kind of tax revenue he could expect in order to identify how many men were eligible for military service and how much revenue the empire had Everyone had to go back to the origin of their city of birth and their register where the records were kept about who's still alive and who's paying taxes. The Jews were exempt, curiously enough, from military service. This was part of the agreement that they had with the Roman government in order for them to be under Roman authority. So the census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. I love the detail that Luke gives, like a doctor. So all went down to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were complete for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And uh, all of this you read in Matthew's gospel happened because this child must be identified in Bethlehem. That's where the prophecy is. But God used the census taking of a, of a heathen government to position Jesus to fulfill the prophecies on his own birth. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel, ah, the angels again, the angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord and this will be the sign to you. You're going to find that babe wrapped in swaddling clothes <clears throat> lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. There's a, the earliest creed of the first century church was something that Paul wrote to Timothy. They sang it and it's not familiar to us. We have the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, <clears throat> but the very first creed was Paul quoted, and I think it was a song they sang, God was manifest in the flesh, seen of angels, justified in the spirit, and, uh, and like, taken up into glory. There's these four aspects that make up the apostolic creed. God manifest in the flesh, seen of angels, what you're looking at here is where that comes from. The angels beheld a very strange sight. This was the God 
who made them, deciding to become one with the species of creature that he created. And then from that species, he would grow to become one of them, seen of angels and marveled at because of this, what to us we're too familiar with, God becoming a human so that humans could become like him. And so it was, the angels went away and uh, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph with the baby lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things that were told by the shepherds. But Mary kept these things in her heart and, and pondered them. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen. What comes next we don't have time for is divine appointments, divine appointments, divine appointments. Because a certain man who was told, Simeon, an old man, imagine the Holy Spirit saying to you, you're not going to die till you see the Messiah. You might think you're going to see him uh, riding into Jerusalem on a horse, but he sees him in the temple. Simeon just happens to come along by divine appointment. And there uh, on the day when Jesus is being circumcised, the eighth day, and while he's there, Simeon comes along because the Holy Spirit was on him and it was revealed to him in verse 26, he wouldn't die till he beheld the Messiah. And so he came by the Spirit, that lovely verse, seemingly just wandering, but being led and not even probably fully knowing that he's being led to the fulfillment of a lifelong promise. He takes the baby up in his arms. Now, Lord, let your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have beheld your salvation which you prepared, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things. And then Simeon gives a rather cryptic word to Mary. He says, this child, which reminds me of her song, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. He's going to upset the apple cart. And a sign that will actually be spoken against. And yea, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Even you will experience pain in this, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. What a powerful statement. And of course, Mary will behold Jesus on the cross. She'll see at a distance his, the mission accomplished, giving up his life as a sacrifice. And a sword certainly will pierce her. But she's also in the upper room, being filled with the Spirit. She is a hostess for the apostles in her house. It's quite an interesting lady. Now, I only got two minutes and 47 seconds. Another prophetess comes along, which means Simeon was a prophet. Another prophetess, one called Anna, comes along, and she just happens to wander by. In that very instant, it says, verse 38, divine appointment. She just shows up. And she says, uh, she spoke about this child. She saw the Messiah had come. She hears what Simeon is saying. They probably knew each other. If you're hanging out in the temple for 20 or 30 years, you know who the Holy Spirit people are. And so she also bears witness to this and talks to people about it. And then when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. And the child grew. Now, I love these words. Every word is important. The child grew and became strong in spirit. We should talk sometime about what it means to be strong in spirit. Because we've learned from 
the Apostle Paul's teaching in Thessalonians that there's three parts of you, spirit, soul, and body. And the child became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. That's his soul. His spirit is strong. His wisdom is developing. And the grace of God was upon him. It's a powerful story, Mercedes. It's so good. And it's pregnant with, with, with divine appointments, prophetic fulfillment, God weaving our lives in and out of the details. And, and, and not all sweet, because even as Mary sang about uh, this disruptive rule that was coming to the earth, Simeon warns her that uh, she herself will experience pain because of this carrying of this mission. But the child will grow and he will accomplish his assignment. Any thoughts as we're coming to a closure here? 50 seconds. Um, oh, I we have got so more time in that. It's a podcast. Okay, well, I have so many thoughts. My The one that always stands out to me that's buried in the midst of this story more than anything is the prophetic destiny of children who are in the womb. And so I know we live in a time where culturally there are a lot of different opinions about, you know, the pro-life movement. But in the midst of this whole Christmas story in Luke, you have a destiny of a child being prophesied in John the Baptist before he's even conceived. Then he's conceived and multiple words thereafter. And then you have at six months, when he's six months old inside of Elizabeth, Mary walks in the room and Jesus has to be probably four weeks, maybe. Um, by today's modern standards, you wouldn't even consider that a, a human life. That's four weeks old. Most most conservative states have abortion policy at 12 weeks. So you look at the prophetic destiny being mapped out in both of these lives, and it just makes me think it's like culturally, you know, we have it all wrong on the sanctity of life in the womb, culturally. We do. I know the church, by and large, the church believes this, but it's it's all interwoven, all in here of like, you know, I knew you and I knit you in your mother's womb. That is both of these stories intertwined. Well, you know, we have we have um, because the podcast forgives me and gives me the ability to schedule my own ending. Let me just mm -hmm. finish off this second chapter. Jesus's parents went to Jerusalem, to your point. We have one little bit of Jesus at the age of 12 which gives you an insight into something you need to know about him. <clears throat> His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. That meant that Jesus had been to Jerusalem every year he went there. He was not unfamiliar with the city. And when he was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And when they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem. Joseph and the mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, first of all, it's interesting to me, Jesus is 12 years of age, but he was ordinary, likable. You'll find out that the Bible says he had favor with God and man. Everybody liked him. And he was quizzical. He was curious. He wasn't doing unusual, eccentric things. He was observing, learning, and working and fitting in. Why do we know that? Because evidently Mary and Joseph were ordinary Jewish people who had family and friends, and it wasn't without custom that Jesus would be with Aunt so-and-so or Uncle so-and-so, hanging out with the other kids or the cousins, and that uh, they would be there because they're looking for him in the acquaintances, which meant that it wasn't unusual for him to be with other people. He was a social young man. 
but they couldn't find him. And so it was after three days, they found him in the temple. Now observe this beautiful picture. I don't know if I've ever seen artwork that depicts it, but if so, I would really, I'd probably appreciate it. He's sitting in the midst of the teachers. And watch this. He's listening. He's listening. And he's asking them questions. And in asking them questions, he elucidates responses to what they say with further things that he says. Why do I know that? Because all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Sometimes in order to give someone an answer, you've got to ask the right question. And one can only wonder what they are because he asks them later on when he's an adult. Like, if the Messiah is, uh, like he talks about, if David has a son, how can he call him Lord unless the son of David actually existed before him? All who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And so when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? This is great Jewish guilt. Why did you do this to us? How could you treat us this way? How could you be so selfish and inconsiderate? Look, your father and I have been seeking for you three days anxiously. We couldn't find you anywhere. And they're asking a legitimate question. How could you be so inconsiderate of your parents? And Jesus says to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Notice she says, your father and I sought. And he says, but I'm with my father here. I'm with my father here. Didn't you know that I have to be about my father's business? But they didn't understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. Now watch this verse, people. And was obedient to them and was subject to them. Meaning, he wasn't a problem child. He wasn't an eccentric child on the Asperger scale of eccentricity and genius behavior. He submitted. He cooperated. And Jesus increased in wisdom, in physical stature, and in favor with both God and with others. This idea that Jesus grew ought to make you stop and think. That uh, that meant that he was continuing to learn and grow and increase. But the mystery that you don't have to wrestle with is this. At the age of 12, he knew his identity. At the age of 12, he knew God was his father, he was the son of the living God, and that it was his responsibility to grow and submit. And the Bible says in, a, in another chapter, he goes into the synagogue as his custom was. There's so many of you, if you don't mind me meddling, don't, won't go to a church, won't go to a ministry because you're so far advanced. Well, think about Jesus. As his custom was, he went to the synagogue. I'm sure the synagogue wasn't as enlightening to him as his own prayer life, but it was his custom because every year he went to the feast and he went to the synagogue and those structures that were part of his obedience growing up uh, were all part of the fulfillment of the formation of him for his destiny. Well, we got to stop here. Once again, what are, we, what are we offering folks today? Because I want to give something to people. Bring it up on the screen so I can see it. Thank you. 
Uh, yeah, divine appointments. I'm talking about divine appointments, about Simeon going in and uh, Anna going in. These were all divine appointments. Go to lancewalmont.com forward slash divine or call 1-800-910-6349. I want to uh, sow this into you. You want to get a hold of divine appointments and, uh, and see how the mystery of these, the providence of God works out in your life as divine appointments come weaving their way providentially into your life. Call 1-800-910-6349 or visit us at Lance Wallnow, W-A-L-L-N-A-U.com forward slash divine and make sure you pick up our divine appointments. We'll see you again tomorrow. Did you enjoy this latest episode? Please remember to share it with your friends because the more knowledge you have, the better equipped you are to navigate the world.